come now to the scripture reading for the sermon. Uh, last Sunday's sermon was about our great need in Christ, and I'm remembering that this sermon, this passage from Galatians, is about just how close we are invited to come in a relationship with Christ and the Father. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Nathaniel. It's good to be back in the pulpit. Um, really grateful uh, for Nathaniel and his ministry last week. I hope you have a chance. You can go to the church's website. If you've not heard last week's sermon, in the world of sermons, that was five stars. So I want to encourage you to get to that website under the resources and listen to it. Uh, I listened to it on Monday morning, and I was really blessed by it. So we're continuing this series this summer called The Gospel driven life or the gospel-centered life. So here's, here's a kind of a story. Let me start off with a little bit of a story. Um, uh, Marianne and I, years ago, we lived in a little, little hamlet called Lodi, California. And uh, one of our staffers at Trinity Christian School is from Lodi. Lodi is a, a cute little town in uh, northern California, just north of Stockton. If you get... Uh, get close to a town called Galt, you're near Lodi. And Lodi was where I was a youth pastor, and um, there's a large uh, church there that uh, brought me in under its fold right out of college. Why, I do not know, but they trusted me with these high school kids, and no one was killed. But um, a guy named Don came up to us who was a, kind of a campus minister at the University of the Pacific in Stockton, and he, uh, I got to know him really well, and he invited Marianne and I to uh, enjoy something that he took care of, and that was that he was the caretaker of a house in the foothills in, in, near Lake Tahoe, and this was, the owner was a wealthy banker. And he, for several years, had been the caretaker of this place, make sure it's kept okay, and this wealthy banker would come there for a few weeks a year and enjoy the house. So he said, look, why don't you and Marianne come and uh, just enjoy a weekend at this place. Uh, here are the keys. Uh, no one will be there. <laughs> and you could just enjoy this amazing house. So we went. And uh, we got there, and it was this house right off the cover of Architecture Digest magazine. Just crazy, beautiful home, indoor lap pool, uh, amazing kitchen, uh, amazing architecture. Just, just amazing place. And we just spent hours walking around this this place and we this house. And I remember uh, 
within a few, oh, I don't know, a little bit of a while we, we'd been in there, I, I did not feel comfortable. What are we doing here? We're going to break something. Um, I, re- I don't even remember if we cooked in the kitchen. I think we ate out in restaurants, which is a real struggle for Marianne because um, she loves cooking. So I think we didn't eat, uh, even use any of the pots or pans. I remember being self-conscious the whole time there. I, I really couldn't relax. I Inwardly, this was all coming from inwardly, our friend Don didn't say, and by the way, don't you mess that place up. He, he didn't say, he said, come and enjoy it. But I remember this feeling of constantly feeling like I had to be careful. Be, be something. I had to be careful. This series is really about, um, and we didn't break anything, by the way. And we, we, we locked it up and, and uh, we checked the level of the pool and we got out of there fine and we, everything went okay. This series is about how do you live out from under our tendency to feel obligated and constantly feeling like we have to be something. Do you feel that? Do you feel like you can relax and that a great burden and great obligation has been lifted uh, from your mind, your conscience, off your shoulders? Do you feel that? Is that part of your day-to-day life? Is your identity being shaped by the gospel? Really what we're after is a strong and vibrant belief in the gospel as a church that will free us from ourselves. Listen to that. Free us from ourselves and produce a true and lasting spiritual transformation. Really the big burden is to free us from ourselves so what does it look like? Well, I've got a couple ideas there. You can see in the, in the worship folder some, some sermon notes if you want to follow along. But do you live under continual obligation or are you experiencing freedom? Let's get the, let's get the flow of our text once again. Just kind of get the flow of it. Galatians 4, 1. Just follow along with me. It's written out there for you. I mean that the heir, this is someone who's inheriting something, as long as he is a child is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So essentially what you have is a comparison uh, of a child uh, being described here that they're under someone's tutelage, they're being trained, they're being taught do this, don't do that. Stop this, start this. That's how we talk to little children. Some of you moms here are worn out by that. Uh, don't do this. Don't say that. Say this. In other words, we're constantly training our little children. Paul is arguing here. He's presenting to the Galatians who have drifted from the gospel, saying, wait a minute. God brought you out from under this guardianship, this training of you like you were a child, you are now no longer being treated like a child under these instructions, continually under these obligations. Look at verse 2. But he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by the father, verse 3, in the same way we, really the whole world, when we were children, that's the emphasis, 
What, were we, what was it like to be children? We were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Essentially, kind of like if you want to make up a religion, you know what you'd do? You'd start with a list of things that are someone's supposed to do. It could be sit under a tree and think about something. That's what you're supposed to do. In other words, you would make a religion that has some lists to it, right? And Paul's saying, you know what? This is how the world just thinks. This is the basic way that the world thinks about things, the elementary principles of the world, meaning every culture, every people thinks about children needing training. Everyone thinks that way. It's sort of the basic way that cultures think about young children. Paul's saying this isn't really that uh, profound. It's not that insightful. It's just sort of the basics of how people think. Do's and don'ts, lists of things that you have to be. Now, let me ask you, as a Christian, do you live under an obligation that says something, and the sentence starts with, I have to be, now you fill in the blank, I have to be organized, I have to be careful, I have to be diligent, I have to be dutiful, I have to be, you, you help me, I want, I want to help you, and I want you to think, draw this out of your heart. What is, when you're sorrowful, when, you, when you've lost your joy as a Christian, no doubt you've been thinking like this. You have failed in some way. You broke some, something in a very expensive house. You failed to, to be something at that particular time. And Paul is saying here that even if you're an heir, like you own the place, you're four years old, you own this place. If you still think in terms of being a four-year-old, you're really no different than a slave. You're under guardianship. Do this, don't do that. You're always under compulsion and obligation. I've noticed that Christians are rather busy. Christians are almost unable to relax. Our schedules are very full. Let me just throw this out and ask, why is that? Why? What's behind this sense of I'm obligated? I must be somewhere Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night and, of course, Friday night. What's going on inside this busyness? It can be something as simple as that. And then the, 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 the text then contrasts this childhood-like age with a maturing adult age. And look at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, something wonderful has started when Jesus came, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Kick up your feet. Enjoy the house. You don't have to be anything. You have been adopted. You belong here. You can relax because the age of obligation, of living under continual scrutiny, of continual Failure to be something, that age is over. Why? Galatians 4.4, 4, 
moms and dads, a great verse to memorize. Because the fullness of time has come. Christ was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. So, <laughs> in many ways, I have this image in my mind of, uh, so if we think of these time zones, like there's the children's time, remember that back, the verses 1 through 3, the time when children are, don't do this and stop this, and that, that just think of a finger like, like this, right? Okay, think of that zone. And then there's the other one, maybe the gesture is like, hey, enjoy it, right? So there's this, 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 and there's, hey, enjoy the house. Hey, don't touch things, don't break things. Hey, enjoy the house, right? Think of those two things. Now, this side is that old movie from the 50s. I think it's called The Land That Time, what? Forgot, right? Good job. So, The Land That Time Forgot. The reason why I know all these crazy trivia things is I have a great misspent youth as a child. I mean, just all kinds of crazy things come in my head from, from the influence of television. The Land That Time Forgot, in case you, you have never seen this movie, it's a very bad, it's like a very, very, very bad, badly made movie with, with uh, little lizards that are made to look like big dinosaurs. You ever seen those movies? You know what I mean? And then you go, well, that, that's a little lizard that's made to look like a big dinosaur. So, and it's a very bad movie, very poor. It's black, black and white. It's about a, some, a plane crash, I think, and they, they, they land on some un, unknown, uncharted island, and then there's all these dinosaurs and people. It's terrible what happens. And, and, they, and then they escape, and it was made for about $18, I think, the whole movie. So, but it's an amazing movie. Uh, and it, it, it entertained me for, for many, many hours as a child. And the, 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 the land that time forgot, what Paul's kind of doing to the Galatians is saying, look, you're living in the land that time forgot. You're living in this land that doesn't, you're living in a time period that you don't have to live under. It's a time period of the law's domina- domination. The time period now is that the fullness of time has come and Christ has come to redeem those who are under the law. Now, next week, you're going to have our resident theologian, Brandon Edmonds, right here. He's going to give you more distinctions on the law and the gospel. I don't want to steal his thunder. But as you hear this, this time has arrived. You've been born to be born. uh, You've been born under that first time zone, elementary principles of the world, the laws got you, you're always under guilt, you're always under obligation, that's where you live, that's where your neighbors live who don't believe, that's where all people who don't believe in Jesus Christ live in that, that place of get your act together, you don't have it together, the law of God is written in their hearts, they're always aware of their guilt, it's a continual, now they suppress it, and they move on to other things so they think, but it's always, always there. But you should sense some relief. In the fullness of time, Christ came, born of a woman, born under the law. There should be just like electricity moving through your body now. Wow, that's freedom. I'm out from under the law's condemnation. It's continual guilt from me. But other people, other Christians hear this. "Eh, It's kind of Sunday morning talk. uh, How does that relate to my my last argument with my husband. It relates directly with it. Because you've forgotten your, your deep freedom and your new identity in Christ. And you've believed in something too much and it's, it's held a grip on you. And maybe you do the to-do list better or maybe you do the don't list better or so you think than someone nearby in your family. 
And this produces a, a way of moving into your performance. Oh, I perform so well, Pastor Todd. Do you know how consistent I am? And maybe you have rules for other people. You dispense them quickly. Rules and rules and rules. That guy at the stoplight, what a crazy driver. Look at me. And it's just, you're dispensing all these rules for people. And all this dispensing of law makes you feel so good because you are participating in this blindness. You, you, you're, you're willing to, this is what's behind the last heated argument you had. Because you're right, you see? And you, you, you sort of put this aside. You never really want to go to that place of when the law spoke to you, it, it exposed you as a complete failure. And you say, well, I, and you say, of course I need Jesus to get into heaven, Pastor Todd. Of course. I mean, who, who, would, who would not think that? And then you slip in this little word, but. I need Jesus to get into heaven, but. And now there's something that you're priding yourself in, something that separates you from the rest of us. You see? And what Nathaniel last week talked about pretending and performance. You see? Really, your gospel is somewhere around, in, mixed up in there, that you're, you're simply able to uh, look at your performance and you say, you know, it's, it's enough, it's adequate. I'm not broken before God's holy law. I'm, I'm a, of, co- of course, I need Jesus to get to heaven, but. I don't know. I, I've got an edge on my neighbor. I've got an edge on someone. You know that first time zone, the, the time zone of children? Oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I don't need the fullness of time to come. I, I, I need some of it to come, but not, not the fullness of it. And you live, though. You live under a continual obligation to do more. You, uh, you find your acceptance somewhere else other than the cross. Your approval is found in your performance. Your security is found in how well you can control your life. And your identity is found in, in maybe perhaps some of your successes in life. This is where you live. This is where I live. And then notice Galatians 4, 1 through 7, really all we're doing is watching. You're just watching. Look at the text. You're just watching what God does. You're the passive recipient of the fullness of time where God sent his son, born under the law, to release you from that obligation. And all you're doing right now is listening. That's all you're doing. And in this busy evangelical world and Americans in general who are just restless, oh, that can't be enough. I've I got to have some other, something else to work for me. I gotta, that just can't be enough. It is enough. And we are not done seeking our own righteousness. We're not done. Righteousness that we feel we've accomplished, uh, maybe it's a well-ordered life or children who behave a certain way, a family that you, you, you've worked hard to shape or, or, or a, a pastor who just loves his preaching or his church or whatever. There's a righteousness. There's, there's just... It's just a messy world. I'm going to sort of skip around that a little bit. But when you, when you feel you've got an advantage on someone, it really is a powerful feeling. I mean, it's really powerful. It really grips you. Remember why Jesus was killed. He was killed because he, he messed with people's right, righteousness systems. Do you realize that he exposed 
the religious leaders of Israel as phonies. And they weren't about to accept it. And they killed him for it. So when we think about the idea that we're going to create our own righteousness, that do's and don'ts system, that child, those child, that child world where, where kids are... When we think about that, what actually happens is that people really believe that they've achieved something that merits something before God. Performing and pretending. I just don't want to be seen as that desperate. And I've learned, I have learned, when I'm getting a sense of someone's righteousness system, I have my own. When when I learned, whoa, I think I'm tapping into their, what really makes them live. Be careful. Be careful. Because it it really can, without a real truckload of gospel, people can get very defensive and not receive correction and training in this gospel. So are you crying out from the heart out of a sense of obligation or, or a sense of duty? or a, Are you able to relax in the gospel? Do you have a savior? Is there any good news in your heart? This is the cry of the orphan heart. The cry of the orphan is very distant from this Galatians passage. I don't have the fullness of time. I don't, have a, I don't have a Savior who's come for me. I haven't been rescued from all these do's and don'ts. I can still some way present myself as okay. I'm very self-conscious. I'm defensive. God is sort of distant. I live on a success-fail basis. I'm only as good as my last ups. I need to look good. It's hard to handle criticism. I'm rather strong-willed with ideas and agendas and opinions. I, I, I'm, my solution to failure is I, I just try harder. Others, actually, it's okay if they look bad, if I speak poorly about them. Again, you see, I want to build a righteousness of my own. I, I'm, an orf- I'm an orphan at the table And everyone else is part of this family, but I've got to prove that I belong. I need to control the events of my life. I have no heavenly father, and I tend to to live by obligation, duty, and I don't love. Well, the Galatian letter is written to people who had one simple little flaw in their theology. Here's how it went. Jesus is important, but circumcision makes you really favored by God. And that that got the Apostle Paul motivated to talk to them about how they had lost the gospel. And so in this beautiful passage are really two doctrines. And our, our great need this morning is this. The issues of your heart and the issues of my heart are actually doctrinal issues. We're believing something. We're actually believing a heresy. Jesus is important, but you fill in the blank. And if it's not Jesus alone who makes me beautiful and wonderful and gives me a reputation I don't have and 
and gives me a status I could never earn, if it's not Jesus alone and you add something else, it's actually going to lead to a great sorrow and an orphan-like living. So the issues of the heart are issues of doctrine. We take Jesus so seriously, we want to have our doctrine correct and accurate that we might actually experience joy. So the Secondly, then, just the idea that moving out of that obligations zone and into this, the freedom of sons and daughters adopted by God, justification and adoption, really quickly, justification is synonymous with the gospel. And Paul mentions justification really in just one phrase, to redeem those under the law. That, that can represent the whole work of Jesus, why he lived a perfect life. Think about this. We often emphasize the death of Christ, but his life is equally important for our justification. He lived a perfect life born under the law, and he takes all that obedience that he gained under the law, and he gives it to you. It's as if you lived, fulfilled the Ten Commandments Perfectly. This is really, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is really how God thinks of you. He, he, he is, you have had the righteousness of Jesus imputed to you. And you may say, well, I'm a, I'm a sinner. Yes. But at the same time, you are declared righteous just before God's law because of Jesus who was born under the law and fulfilled it. So we can't get enough of justification, and we can't get enough of this wonderful doctrine of adoption. And really, really quickly, justification really deals with our relationship to the law of God, the law of God saying, okay, you come into my court, you come in as a, as a sinner, you don't have uh, the righteous requirements of the law, therefore, um, what do you have? And you say, I do have the righteous requirements of the law. How so? I have it through Jesus. And then the law says, well, but you come in here as a sinner and you have violated God's law. And the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. And so the law says, where is my death? Where is my death? And you say, oh, I have that too. I have that in in Jesus who died for me. And at that point, the law shrinks. The law fades away. It can no longer be found. And the courtroom is transformed into a really warm house, a wonderful house, and the one who was your judge is now your father. And all the things you see in the house, all the little framed things, are just statements about you and how safe you are, how you've been adopted, how God's put away the law's condemnation from you. Oh, you just read about it all around the house. And the Father is so pleased with you because he's connected you directly with the work of his Son. And he's so pleased with his Son. And that's all it is. And so the, the bulk of the New Testament, really the bulk of the New Testament is convincing Christians of what I've been talking about. That's really what it is. It's just over and over. It's really, like John in particular, John's epistles, it's really, really true. That, that's all that John says, essentially. It's really, really true. You really are a child of God. And then he gives some illustrations and examples. It's really, really true. It keep, keeps going and keeps going. So, what is the cry of your heart? Because this passage is extraordinary because it goes right to our hearts Look at verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, it, it doesn't stop there. And because you are sons, 
God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And what does that spirit cry? Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God in his mercy. He knows you hear this. He knows you hear this on Sunday mornings. And you hear the gospel. You hear it. You hear it. And then what he does is he provides for you a way to experience it and to have it personalized for you. I came for you. I came and lived under the law for you. Who tells you that? The Spirit of God. How do you know he's telling you this? Because you now call God Father. J.I. Packer said that the Christian name for God is Father. And those who believe in Jesus Christ have the Spirit of God working in us, and we may think this is really counterintuitive. I, I don't have the obedience in my life to ever claim God as Father. If you are an honest Christian here, you should say, Amen. I believe that. And the Spirit of God is in you to do this. It's not about your obedience. Let me tell you about the one who did obey. When you catch a child and they have violated your will, parents, when a child has been busted, don't open or get into the cookie jar and they just wait for you to walk down the hall and then they walk over and do their stuff, right? And then you walk back in the room innocent, like, what, what? And the hand is stuck in the cookie jar. A child who has some level of conscience will fall apart because they've been exposed as one who didn't obey, right? And there will be tears, and there will be overwhelming, an overwhelming sense that they should be rejected. Who would ever love someone who has a heart like this? Little, little children think this way. But then something rises up inside them and says, but you're my mother. And then they cling to your leg, moms, you've had this. And they won't let go. And all they have, they don't have works that would show that they love you. What do they have? love. And they said, they cling to you and they express to you, but I love you. I love you, mommy. I love you, mommy. All I have is the affection of my heart. Now, the Bible tells us that we will move into good works. Yes. And God will receive our good works through Jesus Christ. But here's the great news. The Spirit is in you moving when you have nothing to prove that you've been a good Christian and you broke something in the fancy house. And the owner of the house comes and says, oh, it's kind of, it's kind of magical, but we have a son who comes by and he, he cleans it all up. Uh, don't worry. It'll be all put back together. 
and it will be as if you kept the house perfectly clean. And we'll always think good things of you. Who tells you that? That you are now no longer just a guest in the house, but you're actually welcome to the house and you've been brought in and adopted. The Holy Spirit sends into your heart this extraordinary approval of God that you can cry out, you are my father. And it is a deeper comfort than anything you will know. And much of the Christian life is simply discovering this deep, deep comfort. We wander, we go various ways, but the Spirit is wooing us back, saying, you know what, the only way you look beautiful is through Jesus, and the Spirit is working to remind us of that uh, day after day. And so today, we have the fullness of his perfection. We have an encounter with his embodied love. Uh, Not just facts about him, but we have an encounter with him, the person we've been talking about. He comes to us in his embodied love. He confirms his promises to us that he will always receive you as his child. And he is wooing us to a greater enjoyment and a greater joy. So... Pastor Nathaniel, come up and lead us in the Lord's Supper and help us feast on the Christ who has done such great things for us.